Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. This morning we'll be looking at verses 43 through 45. Again, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. (coughs) Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that if there is a sin that is conquered in our lives, that it would not be just simply through our own efforts, such that when the demon comes back, he finds the house empty, the house of our bodies. But may it be, Lord, that we be filled with the Spirit given by your Son, and that in so doing, sin would be permanently defeated in our lives. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us the grace to heed these words, to fight against sin with everything in us. But Lord, that we would be given the grace to fight in faith, in reliance upon you, in repentance in pure dependence upon you and not on ourselves. For, Lord, you do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. (coughs) Well, it's very common uh, for us to know people in our lives or to hear, hear stories of people who are going in the wrong direction in life, very clearly going down self destructive paths, doing things that they should not do. And then there is something of a change. There is some kind of of reformation where uh, the person uh, casts away the sinful things that they are doing and begins to live a reformed life. Uh, However, very often, uh, I'm sure you you know people like this or have heard stories, there is a reformation of life that, that does not come with true conversion of the heart. And it's very easy for us to be very encouraged by these things. You know, you think of this or that family member or this or that friend who is uh, doing this thing that you know is going to lead to to death and destruction, and they stop doing that thing. And there is rejoicing that they've stopped doing that thing, and yet the stopping of the particular sin is not accompanied with an actual change of heart with regard to uh, the gospel. It it doesn't come with an accompanying love for God. 
the person has made some kind of change in their lives and they believe that making this change will be permanent, that they have the power and the strength to change themselves. Now, brothers and sisters, as encouraging as such a scenario may appear to be, there is also very great danger. There is very great danger because as the scriptures teach and as Christ teaches here, reformation of life without the conversion of the heart leads actually to a worse state, not a better state in the long run. Let me say that again. Reformation of life, if you're trying to reform your life with your own strength, and if that does not bring conversion of heart along with it, if you do not have a conversion of your heart, then it will actually, in the long run, lead to you being in a worse condition, not a better condition. Now, this is especially true if someone has received the benefits of the reformation of their life through the gospel. Uh, perhaps there is a person who is benefiting from the wisdom of scriptures. They're able to reform their lives in some ways. They're, they're able to see maybe for the first time that this or that thing is wrong. And they say, you know, I know that I need to, to change the way I'm living. And they are benefiting from the scriptures in some ways. And yet, and yet they're unwilling to submit themselves to Christ. This is the person who has a demon leave him and who has swept his place clean. But in the end, he has really only swept and made clean his house in order to make room for worse demons. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is describing here. And the point is, the point is to say this, that there, is, there, there can be no neutrality when it comes to the gospel. Indifference to Christ makes one worse, does not make you the same. Hatred of Christ obviously makes you worse, but indifference to Christ will make you worse. The gospel will either lead you to life or it will lead you to death. It does not allow you to stay the same. It will not leave you unaffected. Reformation of life without, the con without true conversion leads to a worse state. Now, this text is given <coughs> now towards the end of Matthew chapters 11 and, and 12, where the Lord Jesus Christ has been speaking about uh, unbelief. And here he is describing this particular generation that he is speaking to. And it's really uh, quite a fitting conclusion to uh, the long discussion that Christ has had with the Pharisees. You remember in the context, this discussion with the Pharisees, this controversy with them came when Christ cast out a demon and they ascribed that work to Satan rather than to the spirit. They could see Christ's power over the demons, and yet they said this must be actually the work of the prince of the demons. And we saw how the Lord Jesus Christ responds to that and shows the, the very great wickedness that uh, was in the heart of the Pharisees to even propose such a thing. And now he goes further and says, you know, if you were to benefit from the casting out of a demon, and yet that not leads you actually to a change in your heart, then you will actually receive a worse punishment and you will be in a worse state in the end. And this is a warning then for the Pharisees who have just witnessed this casting out of the demons and yet who, who refuse to come to Christ and who yet harden their hearts against him. And brothers and sisters, even though this is a description, all these figures are used to describe the wickedness of the generation that Christ is speaking to. I tell you that this parable is applicable to every single generation. 
is applicable to every single generation. In every generation, reformation of life without conversion leads to a worse state. If you seek to fix your life outwardly, and even perhaps if you convince yourself that you have succeeded without Christ, it will ultimately lead to a worse state. Now, we'll, we'll look at this passage under three headings just following the, 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 the different descriptions that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. First, in verse 43, we see the description of the Spirit leaving. Verse 44, the Spirit returns. And then verse 45, the Spirit takes others along. So there is, with verse 43, the Spirit leaving, there is some kind of initial benefit. There is a, a reformation of life in some way. Then we have the Spirit returning. He finds the house swept and clean, but there's no opposition to him. And then verse 45, you have the worst state as he brings, the, the Spirit brings along uh, seven other demons worse than itself. So we'll look first then at verse 43. Notice in verse 43, <coughs> Christ is describing what happens when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now, uh, remember, this is, a, this is a parable to describe the generation that Christ is speaking to. And the first thing that we have to consider and to keep in our minds when we consider this description of an unclean spirit going out of a man is that when Christ gives us as a description of the generation, we must recognize that this is, in fact, the natural state of man. He's not saying that man is naturally possessed by demons, but what he is saying is that man is naturally under the power of the evil one. Man is naturally in a state, without the help of God, where he is enslaved to the devil. There are many ways in which we can describe the sorry and pitiful state of, of, that we have in original sin. We are born in sin, our natures are corrupt. But there is another element to this as well, and that is that we are in the kingdom of Satan. We are enslaved by him. And therefore, the, the thing that is required in order to gain a real victory is to defeat Satan. If, if your efforts to reform your life do not include defeating Satan, then you are still enslaved. And just to show you that this is in fact the case, we are reminded in uh, in uh, Genesis 3.15, going all the way back here, where the world is divided into two seeds. There are only two seeds. There is the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The, the record of Scripture is the record of the division of these two seeds, the salvation of the one and the destruction of the other. And the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are always set in opposition to each other as is said, beginning with that, that, that first sin and God's curse of the serpent. Now, the seed of the woman consists of all those who are redeemed by the true seed of the woman who defeats the devil. The seed of the serpent, though, is everyone else. Everyone else is the seed of the serpent, which means without exception, if you are not converted, if you are not a Christian, then you are enslaved to the devil. That is your natural state. Think of the way the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So there is the corruption of your body. You are walking in sins. But also, you are following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. It's not just that, you're, that you are corrupt in your sins, but it is also the fact that until you are converted, you are following the path of Satan. You are following the path, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. 
that the, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There is a, and this is the reason why as well, in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul will say what happens at conversion is a transfer from one kingdom to another. You think of the, the Apostle John who says the whole world is under the power of the evil one, the entire world is under the power of the evil one. And yet in conversion, what God does is he transfers you from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of the son of his love, the natural state of man is to be under the power of the evil one. And brothers and sisters, this is a, quite important for you to understand. If you think about you know, knowing somebody, <coughs> and perhaps it's even, <coughs> even in your own life, you think about someone who makes some kind of reform in their lives, and then they relapse. They try again, they relapse again. They try again, they relapse again. They try something new. And it's always the same result. Why is it the case that people try so hard to change the way they live and yet always fall back into sin? Why is that the case? Why does that happen? Why is it so common? The answer is because you are still enslaved to the devil. You're still enslaved to the devil. You can't just change what you are doing outwardly and expect a different result if the fundamental problem is still, it still remains. You, you can't remain in the cell chained to the wall and simply choose to, to go about your life in the cell differently and expect to experience freedom. The reality is, if there is to be an, a, true, a true change in your life where you move from being enslaved to sin to living a life that is righteous and for God, where you can actually have a permanent defeat of the sins that entangle you, there must be a defeat of Satan. And this is the reason why, brothers and sisters, it is so futile. It is so futile to try to reform your life without Christ. The promise that was given in Genesis 3.15 is this. One coming from the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He wins the definitive victory for all of those who are naturally under the power of Satan. This is, this is why it's, it's foolish, uh, brothers and sisters, to simply try harder to reform your life. It's easy to think. It's easy to think that if I just try harder, if I just try this or that thing, if I just have this strategy, uh, strategy to defeat the sins in my life, if I just make better decisions, if I just uh, put, do, you know, take myself out of this temptation, I can do all this in my own strength and I will in fact prevail in the end. Brothers and sisters, the problem is in reality, what is required is conquering the devil. And even further, if you think that you can reform your life without the help of God, you are actually playing right into Satan's hands. This is a lie from the devil to keep you enslaved. Satan is not scared of your attempts to reform your life. He's not scared at all because he knows he's stronger than you. He knows he's stronger than you. The only way he loses is if you turn from your, your trust in yourself and turn to Christ who is stronger than he is. Every moment that you say, I can do it on my own, I can make the change myself, you are still enslaved to Satan. Satan is very happy to fight you in that contest. He knows, in fact, that he will win. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the thing that we have to keep in mind as the Lord Jesus Christ begins. He begins with this, this situation where there is un, an unclean spirit that goes out of a man. It is the natural state of all men to be under the power of the devil to be in the situation where there are unclean spirits that are influencing you towards sin. And notice then what happens next. This, the, the first thing that happens, <coughs> in fact, is the spirit, in fact, goes out of a man. 
And this is the figure that is being used for the reformation of life. Now, we're not told how this happens. It's, it's really not important for Christ's point. The, the point is simply that there is a reprieve that's given to this person. Uh, they, they were dominated by this unclean spirit, which is the state of all men. And then this unclean spirit leaves this person. So there is a sense in which uh, he can now enjoy the blessings of not being entangled by this sin, not being controlled by this demon, not being moved towards this kind of ungodliness. But all of this, all of this is without any kind of turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the point is to say, is to affirm <coughs> that <coughs> at first there does appear to be success. And brothers and sisters, this is the reason why this is so common in this life. You can make a change, there is a success for a certain amount of time, and then you fall back into the same sins. Uh, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is describing. Now, as he's describing what the Spirit does, it says that he goes about through waterless places seeking rest, and it does not find any. So here are the, the ideas that the evil spirit uh, leaves the person and roams around seeking for a place to rest. The idea is that he's, the Spirit is seeking another person to twist towards sin. So this, the spirit leaves this person, trying to find another person to twist towards sin and is unable to do it. The reason that uh, the picture is of the spirit being in a desert land, in a dry land, is that this is a description of the land that is cursed by God. The demons are searching for those, for people to devour who are outside of the kingdom. Uh, the, the, the evil spirits are not allowed into Eden. They're not allowed into the New Jerusalem. There is no unclean thing that can pass that way. However, they have free reign in all of the areas that are cursed by God, all of the areas that are outside of the kingdom of God. So in this figure, then, the demons are out there looking for a person to, to uh, inhabit again. And when the demon finds none, the spirit returns, as it says in verse 44. So the spirit then uh, comes back and thinks, you know, potentially I will be able to find uh, hospitality in the place where I left. Now, the significant thing about this particular uh, parable that the Lord Jesus Christ gives uh, is found in the description that the Spirit finds when he returns. So he finds, <coughs> notice <coughs> in verse 44, the Spirit finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. So there are three things there really, uh, in, uh, the last two go together. It's empty and then it's swept and put in order. So it's, it's empty, there's, there's no one inhabiting it. It's swept and put in order, that is to say, it's clean. The idea of it being clean is that there is a, is a, a temporary reformation of life. That the idea, however, of it being empty is that there is now no opposition. There is no way to oppose the re-entrance of the spirit again. And that's the main point. There is, there is the fact that it is empty means it is inviting. That is to say, if there is a, a kind of progress made through your own efforts at reforming your life, the problem is that now you are an empty place. Um, what, this, what is promised to you in the gospel is that if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, being born again, you are then filled with the Spirit. And so now your, your person, the, the house of your body, so to speak, is not empty, but it's rather filled with the Spirit. And if that's the case for a converted person, then the Spirit cannot re-enter and find the place empty because it is in fact filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, describing. And, and the point is to say this, is that if you are trying to reform your life through your own efforts, the best you can do is to empty yourself. 
The best you can do is to empty yourself. But the Lord Jesus Christ says that that actually makes you more vulnerable to fall into a worse state in the end. Now notice that then the, the second and third thing that are used to describe uh, the house, it's swept and put in order. Again, that means that the life is in fact uh, reformed. There are certain vices that have been put away. Everything appears to be uh, okay. And yet, <coughs> and yet <coughs> we know that this, it, that this will not last. Uh, it is only swept and put in order for a certain amount of time. And uh, brothers and sisters, you know, just, just returning very briefly to the idea of people trying so hard to overcome their sins and falling back into the same sins. Uh, if you are outside of Christ, uh, this is the reason why it never works. All of you know, very many people who have tried this, they try to get past sins. They fall into the exact same thing. And brothers and sisters, often you hear things like, you know, I just feel like I've tried everything. I've tried this or that strategy. I've tried all kinds of things to overcome this sin, and it just never works. I've tried everything. But brothers and sisters, I would ask you this. If, if this is you, if you think about, um, you know, uh, one thing to keep in mind is even if you are a Christian, Christians can fall into this, this kind of pattern where they try to overcome a sin under their own strength, they fall back into it. And if you are the kind of person who thinks, with regard to your own sin, I have tried everything, I would ask you this, have you tried repentance and faith? Have you tried, when you fall into a sin, that you mourn over it and beg the Lord Jesus Christ to remove the sin from you? That you lament and wail over the disgusting actions of your sin, that, that your mourning would even lead you to fasting, and that you would plead with the Lord, not just in repentance, but even in faith. One of the things that, often, that, that I often see with people who are, are stuck in various sins is that there is a lack of faith that God actually has the power to remove that sin from you. And I think, you know, they use the excuse of indwelling sin. Indwelling sin is a real thing. We'll never be perfect in this life. And yet we will be freed from the power of sin. Part of what you are required to believe in the gospel is that the power of sin is broken in your life. We are not to have the same kind of debilitating habitual sins. There is to be a pattern of victory and a pattern of growth. That's what's promised to us because we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ and he himself is our sanctification. And so part of what's required, brothers and sisters, I would ask if you've tried this, have you tried faith, true faith? I believe, I really do believe. Lord, when I don't believe, give me the faith to know that you are able to remove this sin from my life. You are able to do it. I believe it. I repent of my sins. I abhor my sins. I don't try to make any excuses for it. I abhor it. And I plead with you, O God, for the sake of your own name, show yourself to be mighty in my life, to be able to defeat sin in the life of a sinner. Get glory for yourself in the sanctification of my life. Have you tried repentance? Have you tried faith? Have you tried fasting? Have you, have you tried uh, storing up the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him? Have you tried being zealous in your attendance at worship, being engaged in every part of the worship of God, being here morning and evening, being here at the prayer meeting, being uh, in fellowship with other Christians? H have you tried... Uh, these kinds of things. Because brothers and sisters, if you've tried everything else, 
but not this. What I would say is you've only tried one thing. You've tried one thing. You've tried reliance on yourself. And that's the one thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says will never work. You've not tried everything. You've tried one thing. The one thing that is needed is to be filled with the Spirit, is to receive the grace of God to grow in this life. And that is sovereignly given by God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who pours out the Spirit. And it is being filled with the Spirit that causes growth and grace. Do not try to overcome sin in all these other methods and then find in the end that you are simply sweeping the place clean for worse demons to come. Because that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is happening with this generation. And brothers and sisters, this is the reason why we speak of the gospel and we speak of the idea of salvation. If you could do it yourself, you wouldn't need a savior. And we believe in a great savior who is able to do it for you. And therefore you are to trust in him. If you could do it on your own, you would have no need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not live like those who are trying to do it themselves. Live like a Christian who is united to Christ and who has all of his dependence upon him. Now notice then the, the last thing that's said. Not only does the spirit come back, but then there is the worst state as it's described in verse 45. The spirit goes in verse 45 and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there. And then notice that the conclusion, the last state of that man is worse than the first. So the spirit goes and takes uh, seven other, <coughs> other spirits more evil than itself. The, the idea is again that, that you are setting yourself up for a worse fall if you, if you are able to reform your life without the gospel. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Such, brothers and sisters, is the danger of the reformation of life without conversion. Christ says it will be a worse condition. <coughs> and so going back even to the, the first scenario that I mentioned in the, in the beginning, brothers and sisters, if you see a person re reforming their life without conversion, far from being something to celebrate, now there are ways in which we can say perhaps it's you know, God moving a person towards softness, towards the gospel, that could be true. That would be a reason to celebrate. But we must recognize that if there is, in fact, a pushing away of Christ, that such person, such a person is actually in a perilous spiritual condition. It's actually not something to be celebrating. It's, it, is to, it is at that very moment that you need to be thinking that that person needs to be warned. If it's you who are trying to do this, this is a warning that I am giving to you. Do not revel in your apparent success at trying to reform your own life because this is where you are set up for a worse fall. You are set up to fall into other sins. Now you think, brothers and sisters, of an example from Scripture where this happened. You think of Saul, King Saul, the king of, Is of Israel. He even had some benefit from uh, the gospel, so to speak. He was given the spirit. Uh, in such a way that the, the, the text in 1 Samuel says that he was made into a new man. Now, this is not the new man of conversion, but rather a common operation of the Spirit. The idea is that the Spirit had given him gifts so that he could perform his office as a king well, gifts that he did not previously have, such that he was in some ways unrecognizable from the man that he was uh, before. But you'll remember the story with Saul. The Spirit leaves him when he's disobedient, and then God sent him another spirit to distress him. And then uh, David is brought in to play for Saul, and when he would do this, Saul would be put at ease. So there would be, there's a situation where Saul 
initially looks like he's doing a, a good job. He, he sins. He covers up for his sin. He doesn't repent. Then God sends him a, an evil spirit. David is able to help him uh, in some ways. But you'll notice as you look at the story of, in 1 Samuel of Saul, it's always a decline. He's able to, be, to come to a, a place of reprieve at various points. But the moment that's gone, he goes into a worse state. He tries to kill David twice by throwing a spear at him. He then tries to do that even to his own son. And so here we have situations where he is able to receive some kind of benefit, even from a servant of God, some kind of benefit for some amount of time, but it's never accompanied. It's never accompanied with the conversion of the heart, never accompanied with the conversion of the heart. He ends up trying to kill uh, David. Uh, many times he chases after him with even an, a whole army. And there are so many times then when, uh, when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, Saul then would appear to repent and yet never with his full heart. And brothers and sisters, what is it that happened? He always went from bad to worse, eventually leading to the point at the end of his life where he is seeking advice from a witch as he is in terrible fear and distress and then the next day dies in battle. Such is the end of those who try to reform their life to receive benefit without the Spirit of God. This is what happened with Saul. And brothers and sisters, this is the way it happens with, uh, with everyone. This is a description of every generation. This is the normal course of sin in this world. And it is a warning to you. There is a way where, <coughs> where the condition can go from bad to worse. There can be, in this situation too, a growing hardness to the gospel and the person is led to destruction, as was the case with Saul. Now, brothers and sisters, the thing to keep in mind in all of this is that now, if this is the case, if all this is true, then the implication is that, is that now is the time to repent. Now is the time to repent. If you are outside of Christ, now is the time to repent. Because if you do not, having, when you have the opportunity, keep in mind, the chances of repenting are not infinite. It's not that you always have the opportunity to repent. Now, whenever you repent, you'll be received, without question. Whenever you repent, you'll, you'll be received. But there is such a thing as hardening, such that the softness towards the gospel that you have now may be removed from you if you have a certain kind of softness, but yet refuse to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I've actually had this happen in, in my own life. I remember having a friend in high school who was, uh, who was an atheist who appeared to be at one point very close to believing, was reading the scriptures, was very interested, and, and uh, ended up not believing. It gave him, gave him many exhortations to that end. And now he is very clearly much further away from the gospel, does not want to hear any, any of it about anything, uh, he would be very willing to talk to me about anything related to the scriptures before, uh, but now it's, it's been uh, quite a long time, and, it's, and there's, there's no opportunity. Uh, he has been hardened, and there is at this point, maybe the Lord will change it, but at this point, there is no opportunity for him to repent. This is the warning, uh, brothers and sisters. And, if, and this is a warning for those who are outside of Christ, but even you who are in Christ. Why will you continue to be entangled in your sins? by trying to, to change your life through your own strength, to say, if I just try harder, I will be able to overcome this sin. Why will you do that when Christ has told you 
that through the Spirit, He will put sins to death for you. Why will, why will you continue to pierce yourself with many pains when, when the, the benefits of the gospel are right before you? You, you, you think of uh, John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress in uh, Doubting Castle where Christian is, is in this castle, he's, he's in chains, he is in this prison, and the way he gets out is he realizes that the, that the promises of God is the key, are the key. And those promises, that key, is with him the whole time. So he simply takes the key out and leaves. And brothers and sisters, this is very much the way the Christian life is. Uh, very often, Christians will entangle themselves because of their refusal to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance, trying to do things on their own, when all the time, all the time, there is this blessing that is found so close to your heart the promises of God that have been given to you. Christ has said, He is your sanctification. The Bible says that Christ is your sanctification. So what should you do? Turn to Christ that you may be saved. Turn to the only one who has ever had the power to defeat the devil. The one who, even as we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 12, whose casting out of demons shows that the kingdom of God has come upon you that he has cast out these demons by the Spirit of God. He is the only one who is able to bind the strong man and to plunder all of his goods. And he has done that for you. Brothers and sisters, today is the day of salvation. Do not wait a single moment. Do not try other methods. Cast yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, every moment that you spend trying to overcome these things on your own is you giving in to the lie and the deceptions of the devil. It's you giving in to the lie and deceptions of the devil. Do not heed it. May it be that God would grant you the victory <coughs> in grace, not a momentary and fleeting victory over sin, but true lasting victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be that you would receive the blessing that Paul says in speaking to the Romans, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. He will soon crush Satan under your feet. Such is the blessing of all those who turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <coughs> oh, Father, how we do praise you for the, the wonderful blessings of the gospel. How we do plead with you that you would forgive us that having such wonderful blessings, such wonderful words spoken to us, such great news, that we so often live, uh, even as uh, unbelievers in many ways. Lord, our faith is weak. We rely on ourselves. We, we fall back into sins. We try harder without turning to you in repentance. Lord, may it be that you would forgive us of these things and that you would implant faithfulness into our hearts. How, how thankful we are that even this is a blessing that is promised to us in the gospel. That where we are weak, that where we are prone to turn away from you, that where we are faithless, that you are, remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. Lord, grant to us by your spirit a tender heart towards you that does not strive in unbelief like the Pharisees, but rather looks to you for everything, for such is the heart of the true Christian. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.